We uh, want to encourage you now to turn your Bibles to uh, the book of Psalms, right in the middle of the Old Testament. And today we will be looking at Psalm 23. Psalm 23. Very familiar passage to many of you. Psalm 23, a psalm of David, who was a shepherd himself. And here he writes about the Lord. Psalm chapter 23. The text reads, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This morning we're taking a break from our study in the book of 1 Corinthians as a classmate and a fellow graduate of the Master Seminary has the opportunity to preach, and you've heard him before, and it seems it's been a short time, but as I thought about it yesterday, it's been some 15 years since we finished seminary, and uh, it's uh, been a good 15 years of ministry. So let's give uh, Chaplain Alan Lenz a warm welcome as he comes. Thank you. Um, Good morning. It's good, to, it's good to see you all. I just flew in from uh, Springfield last night and I'm gone again next week. It's, it's a busy summer of traveling, but uh, it's wonderful to be home. Brooke and the kids aren't home. They're, they're having a wonderful time in California, so I'm eating TV dinners and, and just sort of pressing on, but that's all right. Um, Pastor Joe, I, I appreciate the opportunity to preach today, and I, I think um, I appreciate it particularly because as a chaplain, uh, my ministry day-to-day is to those who sacrifice to defend our freedom. And um, I was a line officer for about 10 years before going to seminary, and so my whole life has kind of been spent in the military other than uh, pastoring for, for three and a half years or so. But it's, it's, it's a privilege to be in this pulpit, and I appreciate the opportunity. Um, as we've already mentioned, today we do celebrate uh, our nation's independence. And, and as we do that, we celebrate one kind of freedom, political freedom, and that's important. Uh, as uh, James mentioned to us, political freedom is a gift from the Lord. Uh, our political freedom uh, comes at a great price. Uh, those who came before us made sacrifices to give us that freedom. And it is right that we would stand ready to make sacrifices to protect that freedom uh, for ourselves, for our children, and for our children's children. But as we do that, and as we uh, enjoy this day and reflect on God's blessing of political freedom, uh, we need to be careful that we don't lose sight of the fact that there is indeed a much greater, much more significant kind of freedom. And Jesus spoke to the Pharisees on one particular occasion about that very 
freedom. And I want to read briefly from John chapter 8, starting in verse 31. The text says, So Jesus was saying to the Jews who had believed in Him, If you continue in My word, you are truly disciples of Mine. And you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. They answered Him, We are Abraham's descendants, and we've never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Interesting response of the Jews. And and what we see here from this response is that the Jews understood freedom as an attitude or a mindset. That explains their statement that they'd never been enslaved to anyone. Certainly, Jesus' hearers that day were well aware of their own history. They were well aware of the fact that they were enslaved for 400 years in Egypt. They were enslaved after Egypt to the Assyrians. They were enslaved to the Babylonians. And even in their day, in Jesus' day, they had a Roman governor and Roman soldiers were walking the streets of Jerusalem. They were not free. And yet they said, we've never been enslaved to anyone. Now you look at that and you try to figure out what's going on. Perhaps what they were saying was, you know, freedom is, is an attitude and it's a mindset. Like the uh, young schoolboy who was told by the teacher to sit down and, and he didn't want to sit down. And once he was finally compelled to sit down, he reluctantly took a seat and said under his breath, well, I'm standing up on the inside. You know, maybe the Jews were saying, hey, we may be politically dominated, but hey, we're still free. Or, or maybe what they meant was, we are descendants of Abraham, and our spiritual privilege is so great that our circumstances really don't amount to slavery. In any case, the Jews misunderstood the nature of freedom, didn't they? And I think that's very common today in our own culture. Americans, by and large, misunderstand the nature of freedom. Let me offer you what I think is the functional definition that the average American has of freedom. They may not say this, but if you watch the way people live, here's the way I think people would have a functional definition of freedom. Freedom is the ability to do whatever... I think is right, i.e., whatever I want to do without any consequence or accountability to anyone. That is what I think the average American defines freedom to be. Let me contrast that with a very simple but I think accurate definition biblically of freedom. Freedom biblically is this, the desire and the ability to do what God says do. The desire and the ability to do what God says do. Now, going back to John 8, that's why Jesus answered the Pharisees by saying, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain. So if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Only if the son makes you free will you be truly free. So, beloved, as as those who know and love the Lord Jesus Christ, that is the freedom that we live in, isn't it? And again, political freedom is important. It's a certain kind of freedom. But we, as children of God, as those who have been partakers of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, we live in that freedom. 
That's the greatest of all freedoms, isn't it? It's the basis of all freedom on this earth. It's, it's the basis of, of our quality of life today. It's the basis of our eternal destiny. Now this morning I want to examine with you in some more depth how this true freedom works itself out. And uh, to do that, as you know, I want to take you to the 23rd Psalm. Uh, you're already there. I'd like to pause briefly. Let's ask the Lord's blessing one more time as we go to the Word. Our God, we have sung this morning of your greatness. And our desire is to reflect that greatness in the way that we live. Our God, our desire is that the whole world would see that greatness and it will do that to the extent that we, your people, would understand who you are and live our lives according to that truth. Lord, we ask to that end that you would bless the preaching of your word. Lord, illumine the eyes of our hearts, grant us understanding, Speak to us and grant us application that we might live our lives in light of who you are and enjoy that freedom that you have given us. In your holy name, amen. Well, David wrote this psalm, as you know, a very popular passage of Scripture. David was probably older. He wrote this later in life as he reflected back on a life of walking with God. We know that as a very young man, David had been a shepherd. So he writes from a unique perspective. David understood the needs of sheep. He also understood, as one who had been a faithful shepherd, the great concerns that rest on the heart of a faithful shepherd. He understood the complete dependence uh, that characterizes a relationship between the sheep and the shepherd. It's interesting, if you stop and think about it, sheep are one of the few creatures that have no natural defenses at all. Sheep don't have sharp teeth. They don't have claws. They can't fend off an enemy. Sheep can't run away from an enemy. Sheep can't climb. Sheep in and of themselves have no natural defenses at all. The shepherd is the only defense against danger that a sheep has. I think that's probably the reason why the Lord chose the analogy of a shepherd to the sheep that he did. And what a blessed relationship that is. The key question that I'd like to keep before us this morning is this. Are you living daily in the fullness of the freedom that you have as a child of God? As a, as a sheep of the Lord's flock... Are you living out and enjoying the the reality of that freedom on a daily basis? Now, the theme of the 23rd Psalm could be described as this, the comfort of the great shepherd. The comfort of the great shepherd. And you have in your bulletin the outline that I'd like us to follow. Three points. I'd like to give them to you up front. In verse 1, we have the shepherd of the sheep. In verse 2, the provision for the sheep. That goes through verse 5. And then in verse 6, the hope of the sheep. So there's a logical progression here. First, we're going to meet the shepherd. We're going to find some very important things out about the shepherd. Secondly, the psalmist is going to talk about out of the character of the shepherd. Here's how the shepherd provides for his sheep. And then thirdly, based on that provision and based on that relationship, it gives the sheep a certain hope. So let's begin to look at this. First of all, the shepherd of the sheep, we find it in verse 1. 
Now, as I, as I read this psalm and as I studied through this again, it struck me that it is an amazing reality that the God of all creation, the God of the universe, would condescend to describe his relationship with us in these terms. Because these terms are very tender, very rich terms. Look at verse 1. The psalmist says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. This is really the theme of the psalm. And verses 2 through 5 sort of amplify that theme and give us specifics. But, beloved, I want to show you here three aspects of who this particular shepherd is. Because, as I said, in this shepherd, in this relationship with this shepherd, we have absolute freedom. And that is far greater than anything the world has to offer. So, first of all, this shepherd is a divine shepherd. The psalmist says, the Lord is my shepherd. And he says, Lord, let me ask you, in most of your English translations, that word Lord is written in all capitals, isn't it? I think everybody's is. That's, that's for a particular reason. Anytime you see capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D in your English translation, that is the name Yahweh. And that's very, very significant. This is not just any shepherd. This is the one true God. This is, this is Yahweh, the creator God, the God of the covenant. We'll develop that a little bit. It's a very special name, Yahweh. It is God's proper name, if you will. A lot of ink has been spilled about the the nature of God's name. Where did that name come from? What does it mean? And we're not going to unpack all of that this morning. I think we can get a little bit of an appreciation for the uniqueness of this name. If you turn with me back to Exodus chapter 6, I want to look at this very briefly. Exodus chapter 6, God is speaking with Moses, and God is telling Moses how he is going to faithfully intervene to deliver Israel from Egyptian bondage. Exodus 6, verse 1, the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh, for under compulsion he will let them go, the people of Israel, and under compulsion he will drive them out of his land. Verse 2, God spoke further to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord, I am Yahweh. And I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, Yahweh, I did not make myself known to them. So there's something very unique about this name. And here God draws a specific comparison between His name, God Almighty, which is really a description of His person. That's El Shaddai. You know that term. That really refers to God's power in creation. It refers to God as the sovereign of the whole universe who has the power to control everything. It is His transcendent nature, His omnipotence. That's, that's El Shaddai. He says, I didn't reveal myself as Yahweh to your forefathers. Now, they knew him as Yahweh. We could go back to Genesis 49. Jacob refers to Yahweh. But God here says, I am Yahweh. What's he talking about? Yahweh is a, is a very unique, as I said, a very rich name. It is really the fullness of who God is. It includes all of those other characteristics that we saw, but it really emphasizes here God's unfailing faithfulness. 
God's truth, His mercy, His righteousness, His forgiveness, as I said, His truthfulness, all of that. His nearness and His tender care. Keep that in mind as we go back to verse 1 of our psalm. The psalmist boasts and he says, Yahweh is my shepherd. This is a divine shepherd. And based on God's mercy, His kindness, His unending faithfulness, He interacts with His sheep. So this sheep, first of all, is a divine shepherd. And if you stop and think about it, just this in itself would would put an end to all anxiousness, wouldn't it? I mean, if the sheep had, had this kind of shepherd, if we recognize who our shepherd is, it is going to put an end to all worry and all fretting and all anxiousness, will it not? There never needs to be a worry based on who this shepherd is. If you think about it, the psalmist could have stopped right here and said, end of story, Yahweh is my shepherd, we're good to go. But you know what, he didn't stop here, there's more. Not only is Yahweh a divine shepherd, he is also a personal shepherd. Go back to verse 1, the psalmist says, Yahweh is my shepherd. And, And in a way, he's boasting. It's like he's talking to a sheep from another flock who says, you know what, Yahweh is my shepherd. He's a personal shepherd. Now, it's interesting. Human shepherds have limitations, don't they? In David's day, there there were flocks that sometimes got quite large into the hundreds. And there are records of sometimes a flock was up to a thousand. and, And the single little lamb might get lost. Needs could get over, uh, overlooked, not because of any, any uh, malice on the part of the shepherd, but just in the reality that, hey, I'm only, I'm only one person. But you know what? That is not the case with this shepherd, is it? Beloved, this, this shepherd has only one sheep. You know who it is? It's you. Just one. Because he is infinite. Because he is divine. He is a personal shepherd. Um, you know, I thought about how we could look at this, really the, the glories of this reality. Turn with me to Psalm 139. You know it well. We won't read the whole thing, but I just want to take a minute and reflect with you on the reality of your relationship with this shepherd. Psalm 139. We can start... Uh, Let's look at the first uh, five verses or so. The psalmist says, O Lord, you have searched me. By the way, that's Yahweh again. You have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You understand my thought from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down and are intimately acquainted with all my ways. Even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord... Yahweh, again, you know it all. You have enclosed me behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Skip down to verse um, 7. Where can I go from your spirit, or where can I flee from your presence? He goes on. uh, Look at verse uh, 11. If I say, surely the darkness will overwhelm me, and the light around me will be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. Darkness and light are alike to you. Verse 15, my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance. 
And then this, and in your book, they were all written, the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. That's personal concern, isn't it? That is the concern, the care, the intimacy with which your shepherd knows you. In Luke 12, 6 and 7, Jesus was speaking to his disciples and he was exhorting his disciples to live fearlessly in spite of the possibility of persecution. And he says in verses 6 and 7, Are not five sparrows sold for two cents? Yet not one of them is forgotten before your father. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear. You are of more value than many sparrows. Is that comforting? Absolutely that is. Any of you here know how many hairs you have on your head? The Lord knows that. He knows that about you. I mean, for some of us, it doesn't take quite as long to count. But that's how well, that's how intimately the Lord knows us. Now, I should say, Jesus, Jesus here says, there is no reason to be fearful. There is no reason to have anxiety based on who I am. But I need to say, Jesus just before this said, there is a proper fear. In verse 5 of Luke 12, Jesus said, I will warn you whom to fear. He says, fear the one who, after he has killed the body, has authority to cast into hell. And he says, yes, and I tell you, fear him. Who is that? You know, when I was very young and I was not reading the scriptures very well, I thought, oh, that's Satan. I got to be a... That's not Satan. God is the only one who has authority to cast into hell. And if you're here this morning and you have not come to a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, if you have not come to the conviction of your sin and turned from that sin in repentance and trusted in the finished work of Christ on the cross, Jesus says, you need to be afraid. But look at the relationship that that one enters into when you come to faith in Christ, you become a member of God's flock, and this is an unspeakable privilege that we have. This kind of relationship with the living God, isn't it? I mean, think about this as compared to false gods. There are lots of false gods today, false religions, man-made religions, and false gods through history have been capricious, they've been vengeful, and devotees are are locked in this fearful kind of worship that, boy, we better bring offerings to, to this God, otherwise he might just capriciously decide to snuff out my life. And even today, people may not be bowing down to idols, but there are lots of false man-made religions. And what do you find? There's lots of superstition in false religions, isn't there? You can look at any religion, you will find superstition. What is that? That is fear. That is anxiety that's brought about by embracing a system that is not a system of truth. And that doesn't reflect the nature of our one true God. The Lord, this divine shepherd, this personal shepherd. There's a third aspect of, of the, the, the characteristics of the shepherd here. Thirdly, not only is this shepherd divine, not only is he personal, thirdly, he is a faithful shepherd. Look at the end of verse 1. The psalmist says, I shall not want. 
And, and this is in the future tense, but it includes the present. The psalmist says, because of who this shepherd is, I will not have any needs. I don't have any needs now. I'm not in want now, and I will not be in want in the future. Not tomorrow, or not this afternoon, not tomorrow, not the next day, or on out into the future as far as you can go. That is faithfulness, isn't it? The psalmist says, my shepherd provides for every one of my needs. That is an absolute confidence based on an accurate understanding of who God is. Psalm 34 verse 10 says this, The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they who seek the Lord, Yahweh again by the way, shall not be in want of any good thing. Do you believe that? Those who seek the Lord will not be in want of any good thing. And God's character is bound up in that. I want you to notice, this, is not, uh, this doesn't mean that there won't be difficulty, there won't be trials and that sort of thing. Uh, you know Lamentations 3, 22 and 23, the Lord's loving kindness never ceases, His compassions never fail, they are new every morning, great is your faithfulness. But consider the context of of what was going on when Jeremiah said that. This is from the pen of Jeremiah. Jeremiah had preached for 40 years to the nation of Judah that God's judgment was coming. He, He preached, he said, repent, 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 because God's judgment is going to fall. Well, guess what? It had fallen. The Babylonian army had finally come. They had come to Jerusalem, they broke down the wall, they plundered the temple, they they destroyed the temple, they carried the people away captive, and that's what's going on. And Jeremiah is broken hearted. He's broken hearted because of the glory of God and how God's reputation suffered in front of the Gentiles because of the disobedience of God's people, and he mourns and he weeps, and and he weeps for the destruction of the city. Circumstances are about as dark from a human perspective as you can get. And in that setting, Jeremiah proclaims the Lord's faithfulness. Why? Because what do we do? We go back to the character of God. And Jeremiah knew something about the character of God. And he said, regardless of what the circumstances look like, my God is at work and he is faithful to his promises. And and we know the rest of that story, don't we? But this is, this is God's faithfulness. He promises to provide for every single need that we could ever have. In His way and in His time for His purposes. This is the character of your shepherd. A divine, personal, and faithful shepherd. Now let me ask you, does this get, is this freedom? You bet it's freedom. This is the kind of freedom that no one in the world can begin to understand. Consider the the world around you. People are anxious and fearful and fretting all the time, aren't they? Pick up a newspaper, turn on the TV, uh, go to your favorite uh, news website, and, and it's just anxiousness, anxiousness, fear, concern. People are concerned about the economy. People are fearful about the environment. People are uh, anxious about political leadership, about, about personal health concerns, about children. The list goes on and on and on. Now, I'm not saying that we ought to be completely unconcerned about some of those things. But the point is, those people in the world don't have a Heavenly Father. 
So they're very anxious about all those things. If you know the Lord Jesus Christ, you are a member of His flock and He is in control. This is, this is who He is. This is the shepherd of the sheep. Let me move on to verses 2 through 5 where we see... Uh, the provision for the sheep. We've looked at the shepherd himself. Now we're going to see here's what the shepherd does for those in his flock. And I want to show you four specific provisions which the shepherd makes for his sheep. We'll cover these quickly. First of all, look at verse 2. The psalmist says, He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. Now feeding is not the primary idea here. The psalmist is going to talk more about that in verse 5. The, uh, feeding is not excluded here, but when he says, You lead me in green pastures beside quiet waters, the picture is rest. The shepherd gives rest. Green pastures is literally grassy places, grassy pastures. In the Orient, uh, vegetation was sparse, and shepherds would often have to travel long distances uh, over dangerous terrain, hopefully to find a good feeding ground for the sheep. This would be an oasis where the shepherd has led the flock to a lush, green, meadowy area where there's, there's lush cool grass. It would be cool to the skin on a warm day when the sheep would lie down. There would be plenty to eat. It was just right there. All I could want. We'll get to that in verse 5. But the idea here is rest. And he says, you lead me beside quiet waters. This is not still waters, okay? The still waters would be stagnant and they would have bacteria and a sheep couldn't drink that water. This is still water or literally resting places with water. Through this grassy meadow, there, there, ran, there runs a brook of cool, clean, crystal clear water. Think of the, 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 the relaxing sound of waves breaking on a distant beach. The picture that this is supposed to, to bring to our minds is, is one of rest. Our shepherd gives rest. And notice... This rest is not free of difficulty. The Lord knows that we need rest in our lives, doesn't He? The promise of 1 Peter 5.10 really applies. It says, And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ, will Himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. So, beloved, if you're, if you're dealing with difficulty and you're, and you're persevering, know that the Lord knows and He will not give you more than what He's going to give you the grace to handle. And when you need rest, He Himself is going to provide that. Look at verse 3. It says, He restores my soul. This is spiritual rest. This is the kind of refreshment that is the deepest kind of refreshment we can know as human beings. This is a satisfying refreshment that the world knows nothing about. The world offers many, many cheap imitations of this kind of spiritual rest, don't they? You know, all the entertainments, all the distractions, all of the things that people run after in the world, those things don't really give you refreshment. 
Recreation is to be recreation. It is to renew us and refresh us and give us rest so that we can be fitted for the work that God has called us to do. So many people, when they engage in recreation, they do things that are detrimental to themselves spiritually. The rest that the Lord gives is spiritual rest. He restores my soul. Not only does He give rest, He gives guidance. Look at verse 3. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. This guiding is a very specific word that has to do with carefully leading in a way that is free of risk. Sheep are very timid creatures. And they, they needed to be in secure, comforting circumstances. The psalmist says, the way my shepherd guides me provides the comfort and the safety that I need. Paths of righteousness, the emphasis here is God's righteousness. The way by which God leads us is a righteous way. He has set out a path for us and it is, it is a right way. It is a just way. And there's a reason why God leads us this way. It says, for His name's sake. You think about what we said about Jeremiah and how God had been dishonored by the people's disobedience. God has a vested interest, if you will, in leading us in His righteous way. His name, His character, His person, His reputation is at stake. As we order our steps according to the Word of God and look to the Lord for His strength through His indwelling Holy Spirit to live in obedience, God is honored and glorified. We can be content, we can be confident, no matter what your circumstances are, as you are seeking the Lord, He is going to lead you in His righteous path. That's a great blessing. The provision for the sheep includes rest, it includes guidance. Thirdly, He provides protection. Look at verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. Let's stop there for a minute. When I was uh, growing up, I remember walking into a shop as a teenager. This was in the 70s. And there was a poster of a big, mean guy. And it says, even that, and I wasn't a believer, but I remember this. It says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, and then there's this big, burly, mean guy. It says, I fear no evil because I'm the biggest, meanest guy in the whole valley. Is that what this is talking about? No. The sheep says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And by the way, this, this is literally, it's the idea of deep darkness. It's the strongest word in the Hebrew language for darkness. It has to do with the deepest, darkest, most difficult circumstances of life. Death is certainly one of those circumstances, but it's broader than that. The psalmist says, even though I may have to go through life's deepest, darkest, most difficult circumstances, I will not fear. Not because I can handle it in my own strength. It's precisely because I can't, but the shepherd is with me. He says, I fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. The presence of the shepherd through the difficulty, is all that the sheep needs to have confidence. And I'm reminded when our, our oldest daughter, Sydney, who's now 11, she was five or six, and she was on a soccer team. 
we'd gone to a soccer game, and uh, we were all leaving, and there was a big crowd of people. We were kind of leaving the field and going to the parking lot, and she had gotten a step or two ahead of me, and I guess I was, I was to her left, and I had, without thinking about it, moved over to her right. And she's walking along, and all of a sudden she realized I wasn't there, and I saw, she, she looked back over here, and I saw this look of panic come over her face. And then she spun around this way and saw me, and she said, Oh, Daddy, there you are. And, you know, the the panic just disappeared. What is that? When she thought that I wasn't around, all of a sudden there was fear and anxiety. When she realized I was with her, everything was fine. That's what the psalmist is saying here. The presence of the shepherd gives me peace and comfort regardless of what my circumstances are, regardless of what the deep darkness is that I'm walking through. Now, let me ask you something. Do you sometimes go through difficulties and challenges and feel like, Lord, where are you? Yeah, sometimes that happens. But you see, that's when we have to say, what do I know to be true about God? God has promised to never leave me, to be with me always. Matthew 18, 20, you know the promise. It's the Great Commission. The Lord has just said to His disciples, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And then he turns to his disciples and he says, Go, as you go, make disciples. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And then he says this, And behold, I am with you always. I'm with you. Hebrews 13 says the same thing. The context is not being anxious about uh, money. And he says in verse 5, of Hebrews 13, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. So that we confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? And what's the answer to that? Nothing. Nothing that the Lord does not allow in His providence and in His goodness. So the Lord provides protection. He provides rest, guidance, Protection And fourthly, in verse 5, he provides nourishment. We'll look at this quickly. Psalm 23, verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Now, the figure changes a little bit here. The psalmist says he's not so much looking at being a sheep in the Lord's uh, flock. He says, I am a guest at a banquet. And not only am I a guest, I am the honored guest. He says this banquet is is a banquet of great abundance. He says my cup overflows. Lord, you've set a table before me and it's a lavish table. Think of the the most um, ornate and lavish banquet you can possibly imagine. This is what the Lord sets for his people. He says, my cup overflows. And look at this. He says, you have anointed my head with oil. That was an ancient custom where at a banquet that was a very fancy affair, the guest of honor would often be anointed with oil. It was a gesture of great honor. And so the psalmist is saying, I am the guest of honor at this banquet. And notice, this is not absent difficulty and trial, right? He says... Lord, you do this in the presence of my enemies. Charles Spurgeon, the great prince of preachers, uh, captured it very well about this verse. He said, see the quietude 
of the godly man in spite of and in the sight of his enemies. How refreshing is his calm bravery. When a soldier is in the presence of his enemies, if he eats at all, he snatches a hasty meal and returns to the fight. But observe, here nothing is hurried, the enemy is at the door, and yet God prepares a table, and the Christian sits down and eats as if everything were in perfect peace. Isn't that beautiful? You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. The point is, God will abundantly supply all of your needs, even in the midst of difficulty and trial. Because those come to you from a nail-pierced hand, don't they? For God's purposes. Well, this is the provision for the sheep. Let's look quickly at verse 6. We have the hope of the sheep. We've seen who the shepherd is. We've seen how the shepherd cares for his people. And that provides a certain hope for the sheep. Let's look at it in verse 6. He says, surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Surely is only. There's there's a certainty here. And he mentions two things. He mentions goodness and loving kindness. What are we back to? We're back to the character of God. And he says, no matter what happens to me, goodness and loving kindness... Follows is actually pursues. It's a very aggressive word. It's as if the psalmist is saying, as I go through my life, God's goodness and His loving kindness are going to chase me down. They're going to pursue me. Now, God and His character is good. You can look at Psalm 107. We don't have time. Verse 1 says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. Period. God is good, and everything that He does is by definition good. Let me give you quickly the definition of good and bad that come from the pen of Elizabeth Elliot. I like it because it gets to the real issue. She said this, What is good is what is spiritually helpful, and what is bad is what is spiritually harmful. Very simple definitions, but very effective. If you look at your own life and you begin to define good and bad in those terms, it provides great strength. If some, you know that God is in control. You know that God is sovereign. If something is good, if something is spiritually helpful, that's a good thing. If something is spiritually harmful, that's a bad thing. He says, goodness and loving kindness will pursue me all the days of my life. Now, the sheep didn't know what was coming tomorrow or the next day or the next day any more than we do. But we know who our shepherd is. I mean, think of all that we have in the Lord's provision. In eternity past, God knew each one of you as a unique individual. He marked you out for salvation. In time, He called you to Himself. He brought, He sent His Son into the world to reveal the Father, to keep God's absolutely perfect law and meet His righteous standard. The Son went to the cross to pay the price for your sin, to remove it from you as far as the east is from the west, and and impute to you, give you the gift of Jesus' perfect righteousness. 
And so He promises to be with you. He has secured for you a home in heaven. He's given you the indwelling Holy Spirit. He's given us His Holy Word by which we can know Him, by which we know how to live. And He has promised to be with us no matter what happens and ultimately to take us to heaven. Is that freedom? You bet that's freedom. And so I ask you again, are you living in the daily fullness of the freedom that you enjoy as a sheep of this great shepherd's flock? This is the only basis for true freedom. And this is freedom in this life, in time, and in eternity. So as we enjoy the blessings of this Independence Day, let us labor, as the writer to the Hebrews said, to enter that rest and to live in that fullness that the Lord has provided to us as His sheep. Let's pray. Lord, how blessed we are that we have these unspeakable riches in You. Apply these truths to our heart, we pray, that we might live the way You have called us to, that You might be honored, that You might show Yourself to be an infinitely holy, wise God in the lives of Your people and in the eyes of all who see us. In Your holy name, Amen.